Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts today. There's another host that's joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, before we get into today's episode, I just want to state that no AI programs were used or harmed in the creation of this episode. The research for this show and all its work was created solely by humans. This is just kind of like a statement in case we get taken over in the future by AI. They'll be like, oh, yeah, they didn't use us for their podcast. It's starting, though. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So if you would like to support the show, then there are a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 161 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon Episodes tab, and there you will see an entire list of past Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the demonic possession of Maurice Terrio, where we will go into the life of Maurice and then into the exorcism that was performed on him, and then to the aftermath that leads to his demise. Ooh, I like that. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabra, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over cults, and how this episode will go today is that we're first going to briefly touch on the history of cults, and then after that, we're going to get into the meat of the episode. Dan and I have each selected some different cults that we're going to be covering, and a lot of these, I guarantee you, have never heard of before. With that being said, let's get into today's episode. Countless individuals across the world have been drawn into secretive societies that defy conventional understanding. They have silently infiltrated our society, operating from the shadows, largely unnoticed by the majority of the population. Rituals shrouded in mystery, doctrines only whispered in the deepest corners. Their leaders wielding an alarming amount of influence over their devout followers. Are these groups just simply a power and money-hungry person taking advantage of gullible individuals by brainwashing them? Or are they sinister, mind-control experiments designed to test out the effectiveness of the government's dark arts? This is Colts. Now, if you are a Patreon listener, 
then you are probably wondering, hey, didn't they already publish an episode about cults on Patreon? The answer to that is yes. Yes, we have. However, that was back in August of 2020. That's almost three years ago. Yeah, we were just wee young lads. So today's episode is about cults that we have never covered before. So pretty much it's an entirely new episode. And I just wanted to clear that up before we got started because I know a lot of people are going to comment and say that. So there you go. All cleared up. Now, for us to start off this entire topic today, we first need to quickly talk about the history of cults, and then we can jump into the juicy stuff. So Dan, do you want to start that off for us? Of course. The term cult has traditionally referred to a system of religious worship and ritual, but in modern times, it's often used to refer to a group of people with some strange-ass beliefs and practices. Now, these cults have been part of a human society for thousands of years. In ancient times, they often centered around the worship of a particular deity or group of deities, such as the cult of Isis in ancient Egypt. And just so you all are aware, the cult of Isis is not the typical Isis you think of, the Al-Akbar type, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, when you say it, honestly, a lot of Americans are going to think that. Yeah, exactly. But the cult of Isis in ancient Egypt was a cult that centered around the Egyptian deities Isis and Osiris. All right, so moving forward, uh, during the Middle Ages, the term cult was used to describe people involved in religious practices. It wasn't until the mid-20th century when the word started to be used in a negative sense, and this was particularly due to high-profile cases that involved mass suicides and murders. Then, in the late 20th and early 21st centuries, there was a large uptick in some, you know, crazy-ass leaders creating cults, brainwashing people, and all that stuff. Due to this, almost everyone around the world now uses the term cult to describe a group of people that they considered brainwashed by a leader. And another thing to add to the brainwashing is that some of these cults held particularly odd and unconventional beliefs. Heaven's Gate, for example believed that the Earth was about to be recycled by a passing by extraterrestrial spacecraft that was following behind a big asteroid or meteor? Yeah. Yeah, the leader of the cult told his members that in order for their souls to be allowed to board the passing alien spacecraft, that they must commit suicide, which sadly they did, and 39 people died. Yeah. Uh, another example of a cult that had odd beliefs was Om Shinrikyo. Now, this was a Japanese doomsday cult that combined the elements of Buddhism and Christianity with his apocalyptic visions. And they were actually responsible for the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin gas attack. Now, another thing is that the leader claimed that he could levitate. And when he told people this, they, of course, would say, hey, you know, levitate. I want to see it. He would bust out a picture of him levitating instead of him actually doing it, because he said, oh, oh, it just takes out so much of my soul to do it. Instead, hey, here's a, a photograph. And you can actually see that photograph on our website, because we covered uh, this entire Om Shinrikyo cult on episode 126 back in March of 2022. So if you want to hear more about that, go check out that episode. It's pretty good. It was a good one. Yep. So needless to say, these modern day cults are pretty horrible. And you would think that people hearing about these past and current tragedies would sort of convince them to not join them. However, people keep making cults and others just, they keep joining. 
Now, the factors into why someone would join a cult is, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but it often involves a combination of social, psychological, and economic factors. Due to this, it has made the study of cults a significant area of research in sociology, religious studies, and psychology. There you go. A little bit of history about cults. Now, we can get into the fun part of the episode today, where we discuss the weird-ass cults that we uncovered during our research. So, Dan, are you okay with me telling everyone about the first cult? Also, just want to let everyone know that we each picked a bunch of different cults to talk about, so we're going to take turns talking about each cult. And, of course, Aaron has decided to go first. He didn't want to roll the dice. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, we can roll the dice. I'm totally cool with it. No, you're good. All right. So the first cult that I'm going to talk about today is called the Superior Universal Alignment. Have you heard of them, Dan? I have not. Ooh, you're in for a treat. Well, I say a treat, but honestly, at the end of it, you're going to be pretty pissed off. I was. Okay. So this religious cult was founded in the late 1980s in Brazil and it was by an individual named Valentina de Andrade. Now, when I looked into this cult, I had a hard time finding any information about them because they're super secretive. However, what I did find out uh, was that their beliefs were like a blend of various different religious organizations mixed with like spiritual woo-woo elements, and they also really focus on extraterrestrial beings and there's supposedly an upcoming apocalypse. So it's pretty much all your typical cult beliefs wrapped in one. Their leader, Valentina, she claims to have received messages from extraterrestrial beings who she referred to as the masters. Not the masters of the universe, just the masters. Did she believe that she was like Jesus reincarnated? No, not Jesus, but she was like a special person that got these messages from the masters and that there's only select people who get them, but I'll get into that here in a minute. All right. Yeah. So Valentina told her followers that these masters, aka extraterrestrial beings, were superior entities from a distant galaxy and that they were communicating with Earth to prepare them for the end of the world. End of the world. She, <laughs> Jesus. She also stated that only a select group of individuals would be saved from this doom that was coming towards Earth. These individuals, she claimed, that would be saved, did not have souls and were therefore free from sin. Yeah, it, it gets complicating, okay? So, Valentina also stated that boys under the age of 13 were soulless, all of them, and thus they were more able to receive messages from the extraterrestrials, a.k.a. masters. Now, you would think, due to that, she would kind of hold these boys on like a pedestal somewhat, right? It's not the case. It gets bad. So, due to this belief, Valentina and her followers began targeting young boys to indoctrinate into their cult. Now, during the late 1980s and early 90s, around this time when her cult was like in full swing, a lot of young boys were reported missing in the area where the cult was active at. Now, some of these boys were eventually found, and uh, it was pretty gruesome. Like, they had their genitalia cut out, they were mutilated, tortured, that kind of thing. It was absolutely horrible. Of course, 
this started a whole bunch of uh, investigations into various individuals in the community, and the cult was targeted. Officials eventually found out that it was the cult that was sexually assaulting, mutilating, and killing these young boys. It is believed that they murdered these boys as a part of their rituals based on a belief that, you know, killing these children was a form of purification for the individuals in the cult. So you know how she stated that Valentina stated that the boys didn't have souls? Yeah. Okay. So her belief was if you take these boys that didn't have souls, you kill them, it purified the person who killed them. So their cult was getting these young boys, torturing them, murdering them, and in the process, they were thinking, hey, all of our sins are getting taken away. We're pure. So when the masters come down, the extraterrestrials, they're going to save us because we don't have any sin. That was her belief. So in total, at least 19 boys were victimized or killed by this cult. They ranged from the age of 8 to 13 years old. Some of them actually escaped, but not before being drugged and subjected to horrors of assault and mutilation. So you would think they would start arresting people in the cult at that point. That didn't happen. It wasn't until 2003 when officials arrested and prosecuted several members of the cult, including Valentina. But you know what? In 2005, she was acquitted due to lack of evidence. But four other members of the cult were actually convicted for their involvement in the crimes. So yeah, that part kind of pissed me off. So I wanted to see if Valentina was still alive. And I actually had trouble finding that out. Like I found some information about her a year or two ago, but nothing here recent. I did find her personal website, but in 2020, her domain was not renewed. So some like Chinese company came and snagged it. So if you go to it now, it like reroutes you to a scam site. But you can go to the Wayback Machine and put in her uh, website, which is ValentinaDiAdrade.com. And uh, you can see her website, which looks like it's something out of the 1970s. Actually, it looks very similar to the Heaven's Gate cult and their website. But I'll have a link to that on our website for anybody that wants to take a look at it. Mine's still loading. It's like blue with a bunch of letters and stuff everywhere. Yeah, so their website, uh, she has contact, answers, audio, truth spreading. And if you dig around in her website and you click the contact button, it says offensive messages will be filtered and not delivered. So I'm guessing she got a lot of hate mail. Oh, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, her website is uh, no longer there, but you can still look at it through the Wayback Machine. And that right there is our first cult, the Superior Universal Alignment. And justice was not brought upon her. So if you are a loved one, no, no Valentina, send us an email. We'd like to get in touch with her. So pretty much what I'm getting from that is that she probably had her followers, underlings do the dirty work. So that's why some of them got prosecuted and she got away scot-free. Yep. Did you say where they were getting the boys from? Just in the neighborhood, the poor children in the neighborhood. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, ones that would roam the streets, they just go by and boom, snag them up. Horrible. Sounds like some Montauk shit. Yeah, it does. Anyways, all right, so let's get on to the next cult. What do you got for us, Dan? Well, I'd like to say that it gets better, but this one's 
pretty gruesome itself. Yeah, so I previously read about this cult before, and uh, it's up there with some of the worst. I don't know why I'm, okay, I'm not laughing. I'm smiling out of discomfort. It's the awkward laugh. Yes, it is so horrible. So tell us about this cult, Dan. All right, so the next cult started back in the 1980s and early 1990s in the city of Matamoros, Mexico. This would be the Matamoros cult, who was led by Adolfo Costanzo, a Cuban-American who claimed to be a high priest of a form of Afro-Caribbean's religion known as the Palo Mayombi, along with Santeria and a little bit of the occult. So this cult had its hands in like drug trafficking, human sacrifice, and many other violent crimes, which included the murders of at least 15 people. These murders would not only be, you know, against the people from Mexico, but also Americans. But honestly, reading up on it, I think it was just anyone that got in their way, especially if they're trafficking drugs. Yeah. Now, no one had known about this cult until a college student from Texas, Mark Kilroy, actually went missing while on spring break in Matamoros. Yeah, he uh, he was club hopping with his friends down there and his friends kind of walked away without him and left him on the street. And he's like, hey, and the next thing you know, he gets grabbed and pulled into a van. Yep. And right after that, Mark's friends ended up reporting him missing. And that is when a search began by the Mexican and American authorities. During this investigation, the authorities discovered that Mark had been abducted by members of an unknown group. They started following leads into this group and discovered the Matamoros cult. The investigation led to a raid on the cult's compound on May 6, 1989. Constanzo and some of his followers had barricaded themselves inside one of their buildings. As the police broke into the house, a shootout occurred. Now, Costanzo and several of his followers were killed during the raid, but Costanzo himself was not shot by a police officer. He had ordered one of his followers to shoot him in the head so he would not be taken into custody. Yeah, so he's like, you're not going to take me alive. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but the odd thing was, Costanzo believed that he had supernatural powers and he believed that he could not be killed by conventional means. Yet a bullet got him. So I don't know. Guess his powers weren't activated then. <laughs> okay. So after that whole incident, they started searching around. They found evidence of the cult's activities. This included the ritualistic artifacts and human remains. In total, 15 members of the Matamoros cult were killed during the raid. Costanzo and some of the top cult lieutenants. The other members were arrested and charged with various crimes, which were mostly murder and drug trafficking. As they investigated, they were able to learn about the location of where they buried the dead. They were able to dig up Kilroy's body, along with 12 others, at a grave in a rural area outside of Matamoros. And I believe about 13 more bodies were actually found at the compound itself. So after a thorough investigation, they discovered that Mark Kilroy was tortured, then sexually assaulted, and then they chopped off the top part of his skull with a machete. Ugh. It gets worse. Yeah. Then the other members cooked his brain matter in a blood-filled cauldron. Not only that, but Mark's heart was ripped out from his chest during the human sacrifice ritual, which the Matamoros cult believed would help protect their drug shipments, as well as give them supernatural powers. So in addition to the people that were being sacrificed, they also learned that the cult slaughtered countless cats, dogs, chickens, snakes, goats, zebras, and even a lion cub. What the hell does zebra do to them in a lion cub? I guess sacrificing exotic animals may be a higher tier. Jesus. I don't know. I'm just assuming there. Okay. 
But yeah, so that was the Matamoros cult, which I do have a picture of Adolfo Costanzo, the cult leader, and then one of the members, Sarah. So do you know how they found the bodies on the ranch? I don't. I didn't see that part. So what this cult would do after they did their rituals and killed the people and chopped their heads off, what they would do is they would take the body and they would chop the legs off. It's either below or above the knee. And then they would take a wire and run it down the spinal column of the person, then run it back up to where it was like a coat hanger. And then they would bury the person with the coat hanger outwards, like out of the ground. And then after so many days, they would go pull that coat hanger up and they'd have all the bones of the person, but the flesh would be all gone because of the worms, you know, and then they would dissolve the bones. I remember you telling me that now. Yeah. Super sick cult. Had to, had to throw them in there. And as crazy as that is, this is not the worst cult we have today. Oh, it gets worse. There's one that I covered towards the end that is horrible. Well, let's get to it. <sighs> okay, so the next cult that we're going to cover is not, I mean, it's, it's still kind of bad, but it's not as bad as the previous two, okay? So this next one is called the Coconut Cult. Have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. All right. So in 1902, there was a man that went by the name of Auguste Engelhardt, and he decided to purchase land on the island of Papua New Guinea. Yeah, which we just got done talking about that not too long ago, right? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and say his name. What? Michael Rockefeller. Bro, oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Don't even get me started. We covered that in our freaking Patreon. Ugh. I Rockefeller. You, I can tell you everything about Papua and Papua New Guinea and all the little tribes they have there. Tell you all, all about it. Anyway, so there was a specific reason that Auguste purchased this land. He wanted a place where he could create a utopian society based on his beliefs. He believed that man was a tropical creature. And if there is a Garden of Eden, it should be inside the tropics as close to the equator as possible. He also believed that man was supposed to walk around nature freely, a.k.a. naked. Okay. Yeah. So Auguste, which I'm pronouncing it that way because he's German, okay? Auguste, or I could say August, <laughs> he ended up inviting a ton of people to join him in living a life of nudism and coconut consumption under the rays of the sun, just there on the beach butt naked, eating coconuts, enjoying life. So they would only eat coconuts. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Oh, goodness. So after he invited everybody, you know, he called up all of his friends. Well, not called. He's like, hey, you know, invite everybody. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on, come join my cult. Only 15 or so individuals decided to go, and they made their way to their new home in Papua New Guinea. Now, once this group arrived on the island, some of the followers began to notice that Auguste had a weird fascination with coconuts. So some of his followers were like, hey, why are you so infatuated with coconuts? He ended up standing in front of all of his followers and he said, you all see this coconut? They're all like, uh, yeah. He goes, it is round like the human head and it even resembles it a little bit. We can expect from God that he created our food in the shape of our heads. Due to this, it must be the ideal fruit for man's consumption. 
and they alone are the proper human nourishment. From here on out, we are starting a new diet of eating only coconuts. What about eggs? Cantaloupe? Cantaloupes, watermelon, all other stuff. Yeah, that's what I wonder too, but apparently it was only coconuts because that is what was on the island. I mean, that makes sense, but then, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to go into it, but coconut with the way the outside is kind of looks like hair. Eh, a little bit, yeah. Okay, yes, so I guess I see his point. Yeah. So a lot of his followers supported his decision and only ate coconuts, but a few of them did say, this, I ain't only eating these damn coconuts. Give me a crab or lobster or damn fish. I need something else. And they ate like, you know, crab, coconuts, uh, lobsters, fish, shrimp, anything they could get their hands on. Seagulls, <laughs> birds. Ooh, coconut flavored fish. I hate coconut, so I would have starved. I would have been out at that point. I would have joined and said, we're only eating coconuts. All right, I'm out. See you later. Aren't coconuts, I mean, natural laxative, ain't it? Yeah. They'd be shitting and pissing everywhere. Yeah. So there was another belief that Auguste had, and it was that the sun provided an assload of healing powers. And as long as you stood out in the sun, you could never get sick. So after that, Auguste and his 15 followers would spend the majority of their days basking in the sun, swimming in the Pacific Ocean, and eating their coconuts. On the surface, this seemed pretty cool, right? I mean, you had no responsibilities. You were on a beach 24-7. It would be cool for a couple of days. But after that, I mean, it would get old really, really fast. At least for me, it would. And that's what some of his followers, you know, thought as well. And they ended up leaving. Eventually, August ended up becoming ill after a poor coconut harvest. And when he recovered from the illness, he was reportedly extremely thin and in poor health. After only a few months, he only had a little bit of followers and uh, things weren't looking good for him. Now, he did keep a diary and in it, his writings became more and more erratic year after year. He was on there for years. Eventually, in 1919, he ended up passing away. Now, I was able to find three photographs of him. So if you want to see this leather-skinned skeleton of a man, then head to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on today's episode, and all of today's pictures and links will be right there for you to take a look at. So what do you think of that, Dan? Is he uh, what you imagined? Just a really skinny man that looks like he's made of leather? Yeah. I mean, if it's just water and coconut diet, yes, that's exactly what I would assume he would be. Because he's not getting all the nutrients he needs and diuretic and being a natural laxative. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's the coconut cult. When you said that they were out in the sunshine soaking up that vitamin D from the sun rays. I know what you're going to ask. How'd they do it? I know what you're going to ask. Did they, did they put their butthole in the, and do butthole tanning? That's what you're going to ask, right? I'm asking for the people from Discord way back. We used to talk about this stuff on there. <laughs> I cannot confirm whether or not this cult spread their butt cheeks and got their butthole tanned. I cannot confirm that because I don't know. They absorbed the vitamin D into their buttholes. That was the most natural and probably fastest way. That's not scientifically proven. I'm just making shit up right there. <laughs> yeah, you are. All right. So let's get on to the next cult. What do you got for us, Dan? Well, this one. Oh, man. They say they're not a cult, but some people label them as a cult. 
but I have to bring them up. This is the cult, aka the Church of the Subgenius, that was founded in the 1970s. Now, reason say they're not a cult is because they considered themselves more as a parody religion that promotes absurd and outrageous beliefs. So they technically don't call themselves a cult. They're just a satirical organization, but they have been accused of being a cult. So that's why I included them. Their leader is Ivan Stang, and he was born as Douglas St. Clair Smith, but decided to change his name to Ivan Stang. How would he change his name to that? Ivan Stang? Such a horrible decision. It's an interesting name, that's for sure. But yeah, he created this Church of the Subgenius in the late 1970s, along with his friend Philo Drummond. This Church of the Subgenius was founded on what they believed to be the conformity and the hypocrisy of the mainstream religions. They had some weird beliefs at this new Church of the Subgenius, one of them being the belief in a conspiracy of normal people and the need to worship their deity, J.R. Bob Dobbs. I know you're over there just like, who the hell is that? Uh, who is this? Well, let me tell you who J.R. Bob Dobbs is. He is a pipe-smoking, slackjack figure with a big grin, and sometimes he likes to wear a fedora. Bob is their savior figure that will lead the subgeniuses to eternal salvation and slack. What the hell does slack mean? Slack is their motto. It's supposedly a nod to its emphasis on nonconformity and the pursuit of personal freedom. Okay. I have a picture right there of J.R. Bob Dobbs. That is their savior, their deity. Is this an actual person in their cult or is it just like a mascot for them? It's just like a mascot for them. Okay. All right. So yeah, this church, cult, whatever they want to call themselves, is known for its absurd approach to spirituality and its rejection of the traditional organized religion. The church promotes the idea that its members are subgeniuses or individuals who have been blessed with a unique level of insight into the true nature of reality. Their teachings and practices often involve parodying mainstream religion, science fiction, and of course, conspiracy theories. Oh, okay, I can get along with that. Yeah, they use humor and irony to challenge the established cultural norms. Like they have a holiday called X-Day Celebration, which they celebrate X-Day, which marks the date when Dobbs is said to return to Earth and bring about the end of the world. <laughs> you imagine that? Freaking pipe-smoking guy with a fedora comes. All right, everybody, it's, it's the end of the world. We just look up to the sky and there he is smoking his pipe, just like, simulation's over, we're done, bye guys, see you later. Like, damn, the church of the subgenius was right. Now, this X day involves music, comedy, and other forms of entertainment in this big holiday celebration they throw. Then they have devivals, which are the opposite of revivals. These are performances of music, comedy, and entertainment. These events are intended to just make fun of religions having revival meetings. So pretty much they just, it's literally a parody of everything. Okay. They haven't done anything like killing or beating anybody, no violent stuff. The only thing I could really find was that they had a copyright infringement lawsuit back in 1998. And guess who th that was with? Was it another cult? I mean, you could tech. Ooh. Disney. No, I don't want to call them a cult. I can't. Scientology. The Church of Scientology. Cult. I'll call them it. Cult. Scientology is a cult. Tom Cruise going to bust down that door. What'd you say? I'll box them. I don't care. You're taller than them. It's all right. <laughs> But yeah, they, uh, the Church of Scientology claimed that the Church of the Subgenius had infringed on its trademark and copyright by using Scientology symbols and terms in its literature, which they probably did, but they were making fun of it. 
So that was actually settled outside of court. And that right there is the Church of the Subgenius. I thought it was funny and weird, but I do have a little special gift for us. A gift? I have a one-minute video commercial for the Church of the Subgenius that we can watch. Are we going to get recruited? We're going to get recruited. It's so good, let me tell you. All right, well, I guess we'll play that right now. What the hell do you think you're doing? Dragging your butt through the day, selling body and soul to a bunch of bland normals, acting stupid so they'll think you're one of them? Tired of getting all of the guilt, but none of the sex? There is a simple answer, dear friend. A glowing beacon of slack amidst the turmoil and darkness. It's J.R. Bob Dobbs, the living slack master in his church of the subgenius. Bob brings a new destiny for the abnormal, for Bob comes to justify our sins, to unmask the conspiracy, and to get us back the slack they stole away. It's us versus them. Are you going to fry in hell on earth alongside the pink boys, or will you pull the wool over your own eyes and accept Bob into your mind? Repent, quit your job, slack off, and praise Bob! Church of the Subgenius Eternal Salvation or triple your money back. Uh, they're very close. Very close to, um, doing a hand gesture that is not appropriate. Very close. And, I mean, you see the little armbands and everything? Yeah. I don't want to join them anymore. No. There was another one. Another commercial for them that was like two or three minutes. But I didn't put it on there because it's too long. But it's, I think it's even crazier than that one. Well, hey, they do a good job at creating commercials. I mean, it was weird. It caught your attention. Oh, it did. And I stayed in, entertained throughout the entire thing. But yeah, so that was the Church of the Subgenius. Well, if you are a loved one, are part of this Church of the Subgenius, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we would. All right. Well, you ready to get into the next cult? I am. Is it bad? Is it good? Is it in the middle? Kind of weird. Okay, we're in the weird. All it's right. not like gruesome like the first two that's good yeah but we know about the last one yeah the last one's horrible all right so this next cult that we're going to talk about is called the universal medicine now before we get into that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back all right welcome back so in 1999 a tennis coach that went bankrupt in australia named serge benhayen he decided to create a group that promoted a range of alternative therapies and practices that Surge claims can heal various physical and emotional issues a person has. So that is when Surge created the group Universal Medicine. Now this group has a wide range of beliefs and practices, including reincarnation, karma, and energy healing. They believe in the existence of a universal life force that can be manipulated for health and well-being. The group also advocates for a specific diet and lifestyle, and this lifestyle and diet aims at enhancing your spiritual growth and physical health. Now, this all seems like, hey, it seems like a pretty decent cult, right? Or group. I wouldn't call it a cult yet. Still like a group, right? Sounds kind of cool, you know, they want to be healthy. Yeah, what's the issue? Well, the group had some unusual practices such as an esoteric breast massage. So these massages were done exclusively by Surge, and they were primarily offered to women. 
So men couldn't get one no. if they wanted one? No. Oh, discrimination. Yeah. So Surge claims that the breast massage can help clear imposed energies and heal various conditions, including breast cancer. Due to these claims, medical professionals started bashing the group, telling people, hey, you need to seek, you know, appropriate medical care for any issues that you have. Don't trust a group that doesn't have any, you know, scientific background that's just want to grope your boobies. Okay. Shortly after that, uh, in 2018, Serge found himself in legal trouble. A jury in a defamation case stated that Serge had an indecent interest in young girls, as young as 10, whom he forced to stay at his house unaccompanied. Also, they stated that Serge intentionally touched several clients inappropriately during treatment sessions. Several, I think, probably all. Yeah. The case also revealed that Serge claimed that he was the reincarnation of Leonardo da Vinci, and that's why he had to touch breasts. He was an artiste. Okay. Former members stated that the Universal Medicine and Surge exhibited high levels of control over its followers, which led to breakdown of families and social networks. Of course, Surge claimed that, you know, all these people saying this, this is all lies, you know, they're all making this up. And as of today, right now, Surge still operates the Universal Medicine Group in Australia. So if you want to go check them out, and send them some nice messages, you can head to www.universalmedicine.com and book your esoteric breast massage today. I'm dead serious. They still offer this service, and it's $70. However, you won't get surge massaging your breasts. No, no, no. On their website, it clearly states that the massage is only done by women on women. Surge no longer provides his healing magical fingers to place upon your breast. Then what's the point? Just get your titty massaged, I guess. I don't know. I want to go get mine done. What if, what if I want to get mine done? Are they going to say no to me? Hey, you may get surge. Because only done by women on women, surge. If anybody is a listener in Australia and you're near this universal medicine, I will pay you to go up there and go get a breast massage by surge. It has to be a male, okay? No females. I don't want any sexual assault or anything like that. Any males living in Australia, try to go get your pectoral muscles massaged by Surge. I'll cover the costs. But you have to get on the scene with them, okay? You have to get an interview. While you're getting the massage. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. That's universal medicine. Ah, uh, I don't know what to say to that. You're speechless, aren't you? I am. Yeah. So with that being said, on to the next cult. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a very interesting one, and I mean... Like, they all kind of start out sounding good and everything, but then there's, like, always a catch. Like, hey, give me all your money, or let me uh, touch your boobie, or like, hey, let me f*** your wife, or something like that. Yeah, only I can have sexual intercourse with women. Oh, yeah, place that burden upon me. Some of them say, place that sexual burden upon me, and I will do it. I will be the martyr. I will take all your urges away. Let me bang your wife. <laughs> That's how all of them are. Almost, well, almost all of them. Especially Scientology. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Anyways, so the next cult I have is the Church of the Final Judgment. All right, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one, so don't go nowhere. All right, welcome back. So the next cult I have 
is the Church of the Final Judgment, also known as the Process Church of the Final Judgment that emerged in the 1960s in London, England. So this church was founded by Robert D. Grimston and Mary Ann McLean, who were actually former members of Scientology. Oh, looky there. The church's teachings were based on a combination of Christian and Eastern spiritual traditions, as well as elements of psychology and occultism. The Church of the Final Judgment believed in four deities, or archangels, which represented different aspects of the human psyche. You had Jehovah, who was the deity of wrath and judgment, Lucifer, the deity of light and liberation, Satan, the deity of animal nature, and then Christ, the deity of love and compassion. They attracted a number of followers between the 1960s and 1970s, including some high-profile celebrities like Mick Jagger and Mariana Faithful, who was a model and, I believe, an artist, but she was in, like, a four-year relationship with Mick Jagger. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know who she was. I'm gonna be honest. So they had some celebrities in their, their church. So this group, cult, whatever you want to call them, was involved in some controversial things, which involved ritualistic animal sacrifice and drug trafficking. I don't know why they want to sacrifice so many things. It seems to be common, animal sacrifice and drug uh, trafficking. Oh yeah, and this group was big into drug trafficking. According to reports, the church operated a drug distribution network that spanned several countries, including the United Kingdom, the United States, and Canada. The church was running this? The Church of Final Judgment, yeah. Holy shit. One of the drugs that they trafficked was a hallucinogenic drug called DMT. Dimethyltryptamine, baby which they used in their rituals and ceremonies. They also smuggled marijuana and cocaine during that time as well. This led to the disbandment of the church in 1974. Even though some of its members continue to operate under different names and in different locations, the founders, de Grimston and McLean, fled into hiding and nothing was heard from them for several years. Then all of a sudden, de Grimston resurfaced in the 1990s and published a memoir in which he claimed that the media and law enforcement just misunderstood the church and pretty much made it look bad. I mean, animal sacrificing is not looking good. The media and the police are saying, hey, you're trafficking drugs. Church is like, yeah, we're doing it, but you're making us look bad, okay? We're doing it to free your minds, okay? The animal sacrificing, that's freeing your soul. I don't know if that's what they said. So I looked into, a, looked into this group a little bit more. So the people that did break off from this church group Many of them seemed to get involved with some murders or part of being murdered. One of the famous guys that we talked about in his little family, Charles Manson. Oh, hey, 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 I got a shirt. You can get this today at theoriesatthirdkind.com slash shop. There you go. So yeah, one of his members went his own way and actually became friends with Charles Manson, Gary Hinman. So Manson and his family were running low on funds, and someone heard that Gary was about to get some money from an inheritance. That is when Manson decided to send some of his family to go to Gary's home and persuade him to give Manson the money. They ended up taking Gary hostage for days. Then Manson finally got tired of dealing with Gary, decided to take a sword, and cut off his damn ear. Why? Diablo 2 trophy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Then, after that, his little family members that took him hostage came in, stabbed Gary to death then used his blood to smear political piggy on the wall along with Black Panther's paws to put blame on the Black Panthers. Yeah, so Gary Hinman was the guy that got murdered and he was part of the Church of the Final Judgment. 
So it was like Colts beefing with one another. I don't think it was really Colts beefing. I think he became friends with Manson, pretty much the wrong person. Okay. Hmm. I'd never heard of him. And I mean, we did a episode on Charles Manson. I don't even think we talked about Gary Hinman being murdered by him. Yeah, we must have. I mean, we did that episode so long ago. I think it was our number one or number two uh, Patreon episode ever, our first or second Patreon episode we ever did. So it was a long time ago, like June of 2020 or something. So long ago. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. So I'm going to give uh, everyone a, what is this, like a... Viewer discretion, viewer, listener discretion? Yeah, I'm going to put out a listener discretion advised for this next story because uh, this cult is horrible. So this next cult that we're going to talk about is one that I had previously discussed on a Patreon episode back in 2020. And the story of this cult is so weird and not many people know about it that I figured I would refresh everyone's memory regarding it. And I added some new information to it as well. So there was an individual named Roque Terrio who was born in 1947 in Quebec, Canada. Now Roque was raised in a religious household and was reportedly a bright but rebellious child who struggled with formal education, eventually dropping out of school by the seventh grade. As a young adult, Roque developed a deep interest in religion and spirituality, and he was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. His involvement with the Seventh-day Adventist Church was reportedly quite intense, and he was known to be a charismatic and persuasive speaker. And if you remember, who else was a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Uh, David Koresh? Yes, David Koresh, a.k.a. Vernon Howe, a.k.a. Your dad. Carm Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. Anyway, yeah, that Branch Davidian compound leader, David Koresh, a.k.a. Vernon Howe, he was a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. Anyway, so Roke eventually got into some disagreements with other members of the Seventh-day Adventist church, and this was because of his interpretations and beliefs. They were different from everyone else's, and he was like, I'm right. And they were like, no, you're not. You're crazy. And he was like, you know what? Screw y'all. I'm leaving. And that's what he did. So by the mid-1970s, after leaving the church, Roke started going around town, convincing people that he was a prophet sent from heaven and that they should leave their jobs and homes to join him in a new religious movement. Now, as crazy as that might sound, he actually convinced quite a few people. And in 1977, he officially formed his cult. Now, the entire goal for Roke was to form a community where people could freely listen to his motivational speeches, live in unity and equality, and be free of sin. So basically, he wanted a bunch of people just to listen to him speak and do whatever the hell they want and be free of sin. Which, besides having to listen to somebody, being forced to, wouldn't be that bad. Not at all. But it gets horrible. So Roke started telling his followers that his core belief and teachings was for him to prepare his followers for an upcoming apocalypse. Now, this was after his motivational speeches. Like, he did his motivational speeches for a little while, and then he changed the tune up and was like, hey, uh, I need to prepare everybody for an upcoming apocalypse. Even though he was preaching this crazy type of stuff, it didn't matter. These individuals, for some odd reason, just continued to follow him. Now, as his cult grew in numbers, 
so did Roke's fear that the end of the world was coming. Then suddenly, Roke told all of his followers that he had a special announcement. They all gathered around him, and he stated, God has come to me. He has warned me about the end of the world, and he has bestowed upon me the date. The end of the world will come one year from now, in February of 1979. So we must prepare ourselves. Of course, all of his followers were like, Oh my God, dear leader, how do we prepare for this? My God, this is the worst <laughs> follower. Okay, anyways. That's so, how I imagine these people, okay? All right, all right, touche. So Roke told his followers, Fear not, my children, for I have been given a vision of where we shall go. We all must move to a mountainside that I am going to call Eternal Mountain. There on this mountain, we shall build our own town, and you all shall build me a home. <laughs> I mean, that, that was good until like that very last part. It's like, you all shall build me a home. It's not like, we should all build our homes. He made them all live in shacks until he had his home built, and then he allowed them to build their own homes. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my. So, of course, after he made that announcement, his followers were like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go with you, Roke. Let's go to this mountainside, and we'll build you a house and start a town and get ready for the end of the world. And this is when Roke decided to name his group the Ant Hill Kids. Now, he named his group this due to the unwavering devotion that they had for him and how they worked together, which was similar to how ants worked together on an anthill. So this entire group moved to the mountain, created their own little town, built Roka House, then built houses for them, and just kind of started living there, right? Fast forward a year later, February of 1979, and guess what? End of the world doesn't come. Go figure. Yeah. Of course, his cult members were pretty pissed off about that entire situation. And they started questioning him. They're like, what the f- going on, Roke? Roke decided to tell his followers, hey, I got another special announcement. I need everyone to gather around. He said, God has come to me again. I was not made aware that time on Earth and the time in God's world was not parallel. Due to this, I miscalculated the end of the world's date. I see this rogue guy being like confronted by all these followers and he's just like, wait, 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 guys, I have an announcement. It just came to me. (laughs) It was a miscalculation, guys. My bad. I didn't know our times didn't match up. There's like a delay. Don't worry, guys. God's sending me another watch to keep track. So we're good. We're good. Yeah. So his followers pretty much accepted the excuse and continued living under his rule. Around this point, Uh, Roke started to get paranoid that his members would leave. So what did he do? He decided to marry and impregnate as many of the women members as possible. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because of how ridiculous it is. We talked about it earlier. This is is one of their things that they do. Yeah. So Roke had a total of over 20 children with nine female members of the group. So needless to say, he was he was pumping. All right. So let's fast forward past the, you know, lots of sex, lots of, you know, children being born, all that, and move towards the 1980s. During this point, the cult had around 40 total members. Can you believe that? 40. All of his followers were made to wear identical tunics to represent equality and their devotion to the cult. As time went on, Roke began to move away from being like a motivational leader, 
and he started to drink a whole lot, like a lot. Also, he became super controlling over the lives of his followers and started changing his beliefs from what he like previously believed to crazy stuff. For an example, he told his followers, hey, gather around. All right, everyone listen up. I got a new rule. I'm tired of everybody talking. From now on, no one is allowed to speak to one another unless I am present. Also, no one is allowed to have sex with each other without my permission. And I have to be present. Uh, all of his followers were like, uh, okay. And they continued following him. Now, after this, Roke started inflicting harsh punishments on his followers. And these punishments were given out to the ones that he considered to be like straying away. And uh, like Roke would get paranoid about someone and, and peep through the windows. He would start spying on them. And whenever the person asked, hey, uh, Roke, why are you spying on me? He would say, God told me what you did and walk away. So that's what he did. He started spying on his followers. Now, let's say someone wanted to leave the cult at this point, which I would have left it a long time ago. Actually, I wouldn't even have joined it. But let's say if you wanted to leave it, Roke would hit that person with either a belt or hammer, then suspend them from the ceiling, then pluck each of their body hairs individually. And then sometimes he would finish it off by shitting on them. Yes, shitting on them. So if I wanted to quit, I would be screwed for body hair. He would take a long ass time for that. Then I'd probably whip his ass if he tried to shit on me. <laughs> you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it while he's plucking your hair. You'd be like, wait, wait, hold on. You just pluck. You already hit me with a hammer. You plucked all my hairs, but hey, shitting's too much. Imagine him plucking it and then turning around and shitting on you. I'm just saying, if I was one of his followers, hit me with the belt, okay, suspend me from the ceiling, I'm not into that shit, but, you know, to each their own, then pluck each of their body hairs, you know, fine. But, damn it, do not shit on me. <laughs> All right, dearly noted. So following that, uh, Roke told his followers, hey, we need to earn more money. So they began baking goods and selling them locally. Now, if you didn't sell enough goods, you would be punished by Roke. And over time, his punishments became increasingly extreme and violent. For an example, he would make his members break their own legs with sledgehammers, sit on lit stoves, shoot each other in the shoulders, and eat dead mice or his shit. So like two of the followers that didn't sell enough, the lowest ones, He'd give each one of them a pistol and have them aim at each other's shoulders and then shoot their shoulders. I gotta say this because it's on my mind. This is how I feel the Girl Scouts are. <laughs> oh my God. You see them out there trying to sell cookies and they are wanting to sell those cookies. They have to get rid of those cookies. I feel like their leader might be like this rope guy. If you don't sell all these cookies. You gotta eat some mice or eat my shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's how I feel sometimes. So another thing that Roke would randomly do is that he'd go up to a follower just randomly and say, are you loyal to me? Of course, the follower would say, yes, I'm loyal to you. Then Roke would tell that person, I want you to prove it to me. Prove it to me by cutting the toes off of another follower with wire cutters. 
So the follower would be like, oh, okay. Get wire cutters, walk up to a random follower, boom, cut the toes off. Uh, probably the saddest part of this entire thing is that this abuse extended to the cult's children. They were sexually abused. They were held over fires. Sometimes they were nailed to trees while other children threw stones at them. Things were so bad in this cult and people were so afraid of the leader Roke that one of his own wives left a newborn child outside to die in the freezing temperatures so that it would not be abused by Roke. As bad as things were in the cult, they only got worse. So Roke started to tell his followers that he needed to purify them of their sins through what he called abusive purification sessions, where the members would be completely nude as he whipped and beat them. Another thing that he started to do was that he wouldn't send his followers to doctors anymore or hospitals. He started to claim that he was a doctor and a surgeon. And let's say you got injured because you, you know, were abused by him and you got injured, of course, and you needed surgery. You don't have to worry. Roke claimed that he was a holy being and could perform surgery. And that is what he started to do. Now, he started performing unnecessary surgical operations on sick members to demonstrate to his followers his healing powers. These surgeries included injecting a 94% ethanol solution into an individual's stomach, or performing circumcisions on the children and even adults of the group who were not circumcised. He said, hey, you're an adult man. You don't got a circumcised dick. Come over here, Dan. Let me cut it off. Give me that foreskin. Give me that foreskin. So finally, in 1987, word of this abuse traveled around and social workers removed 17 of the children from the cult. Now, you would think Roke would be arrested for what he did to the kids, but he wasn't. The abuse continued, and two years later, in 1989, a random follower went up to Roke and was like, hey, my tummy hurts. I don't feel so good. Roke said, don't you worry, we will get you fixed up in no time. And you know what? I'm going to show everybody my abilities. I'm going to perform surgery on you without anesthesia. The follower was like, look, my stomach don't hurt anymore. I'm good. And he's like, no, 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 no. Lay on this table. So he told the girl to get naked later on the table. All of the followers gathered around. He then looked at the woman and said, so your stomach hurts? And then he immediately punched her in the stomach. She curled up in pain, and that's when he forced a plastic tube into her rectum. He said that he was going to perform an enema with molasses and olive oil. As the molasses and olive oil was flowing into her butt, Roke grabbed a knife and cut her abdomen open. He reached inside of her and ripped off a part of her intestines with his bare hand. After that, Roke looked at another follower who was standing nearby and told them, hey, I'm all done. Stitch her up. As the person started stitching her up who didn't know how to do stitches, Roke said, wait, I'm not done. You, and he pointed to another follower. He made that follower shove a tube down the woman's throat and blow into it, you know, to put air into her lungs, I'm guessing. Oh, God. Unfortunately, the woman died the following day from the damage inflicted by the procedures. 
and you would think that the craziness would end right there. But it does not. So after the woman died, a lot of the followers were sad, and they were very pissed off at Roke. They were like, you know what? We're done with this cult. We're leaving. You're a murderer. Roke gathered everybody up and said, hey, 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 hey. You shouldn't be sad or angry. You know why? The woman dying? It's not an issue. I have the power of resurrection, everybody. He then said, watch this. Roke walked up to where the woman's body was and drilled a hole into her skull. He then told his followers, in order to resurrect her, I need all of the male followers to come up here, including myself, and ejaculate into the hole of her skull. After everyone was finished, they just stood around and Roke was like, well, I guess my powers didn't work, so I guess y'all need to go ahead and just bury her. So the followers got the woman's corpse and uh, buried her a short distance from their compound. However, before she was placed in the ground, Roke was like, wait, 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 ran over to her body, took one of her ribs and uh, created a necklace out of it. And from then on out, wore it around his neck. Following that uh, incident, a follower named Gabriella underwent harsh treatment at the hands of Roke. He placed a torch on her genitals and burned them. He placed a hypodermic needle into her back and broke it off. And then he forcibly removed eight of her teeth. A short time after that, Roke cut off parts of her breast and then smashed her head in with a blunt side of an axe. Somehow, Gabriella was still conscious after all of that and attempted to escape. But unfortunately, she didn't get far. Roke captured her, brought her back to his uh, hut, and then stated that she needed to be punished even more. So he cut off one of her fingers with wire cutters and pinned her hand to a wooden table by stabbing it with a hunting knife. And then he took a chainsaw and cut off her entire arm. Now, can you believe that Gabriella survived all that and actually escaped? She was able to contact the authorities and Roke was arrested. Following his arrest, the cult dissolved entirely. And that right there is the Ant Hill cult. What do you think of that? That was messed up. Out of all my cult research, me looking into every single cult that I could find, there's never been one that has been this bad. The fact that the other members allowed this to happen, uh, it's mind-blowing how someone can brainwash a group of people into believing something so horrible. It's crazy, man. They stood there, watched him mutilate this woman, and they just thought it was okay. Like, oh, this is what she deserves. Nobody deserves something like that. Well, all of them were getting that type of punishment. Not that extreme, but to an extent, you know. True, but to watch him cut off a woman's arm with a damn chainsaw. Sickening. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Really crazy. All right. Well, Dan, I guess you're going to tell us about this last cult we have. Is it as bad as the one we just talked about? No. It is not that bad. Thank goodness. I mean, I don't even think I could beat that one. <laughs> not like we're competing or anything. All right. So the last cult-like group that we have is the Unification Church, a.k.a. the Moonies. The Moonies? Like the Goonies, but Moonies? Yeah. Okay. 
They are a religious movement founded by South Korean religious leader Sun Moon in 1954. This unification church has been subject to different kinds of controversy and criticism over the years, due in part to its unconventional beliefs and practices. One of those would be the Moonies and their involvement in mass weddings. This is when hundreds or even thousands of couples would be married at the same time in a large theatrical ceremony. Sounds like uh, it's a way to save money. Way to save money, but they actually believe this was a form of brainwashing and manipulation. During the wedding ceremony, the couples are often subjected to intense emotional pressure and persuasion techniques, which include chanting, singing, and dancing. So pretty much they were all there and they were just like, oh shit, everyone's doing this. If we don't do it, we're going to feel excluded. So it's like you have to join in on what everyone's doing. So critics believe that this creates a sense of group identity and loyalty among the couples, and that the emotional intensity of the ceremony can lead them to make decisions of their own free will. And I guess that is one way of brainwashing, but they have other options they could use. They could sleep deprive you, isolate, and starve their members. Former members of the church have reported being subjected to these tactics in order to break down their resistance and make them more receptive to the teaching of Sun Moon. Now, another controversial thing they did was their fundraising practices. They were very deceptive. They would use high-pressure sales tactics, such as demanding large donations from members or requiring them to sell items door-to-door to raise funds. Then, of course, there has been money fraud and embezzlement charges involving the church finances. This group, the Moonies, they actually donated a shit ton of money to Richard Nixon's campaign during the Watergate scandal. Not only did they do that, but they actually helped organize a rally to support him. That's weird. Yeah. So believe it or not, though, this unification church is actually still active to this day. And they have millions of members worldwide. I've never even heard of them before. That's what I'm saying. Damn, we got all these cults still active. We're going to have these moonies coming after us, Church of Scientology. We're going to have universal medicine coming to trying to touch our titties. Damn. Crazy. It is. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There's some cults for you to talk about over dinner tonight with your family. You know, you can bring this up. Tell old granny, hey, guess what I learned about today? You can go get a booby massage for $70 in Australia. By a woman. By a woman, yeah. Maybe Surge if you're a man. These days you don't know. Well, with that being said, do you have anything else you want to add to our episode today over cults, Dan? No. Man, that Anhill Kid group, that was... Mm. Yeah, that was horrible. Uh, if you are a loved one are aware of a cult that is going on right now that not many people know about, send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. If you have a loved one that is involved with a cult and they cannot get out of it, send us an email. We'd love to learn about it and try to join it ourselves so we can get them out. With that being said, you got anything else to add, Dan? I do not. All right. Well, that is the end of our episode today over cults. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Now we are going to move to our On the Scene. So if you don't know what our On the Scene is, Daniel is going to explain it to you. All right. So our On the Scene is where we have listeners go around. They can ask random people. They can ask family or they can even talk themselves about current conspiracies or past conspiracies or whatever's happening in the world today. And they submit those into our email. You can send it to either Aaron at theories of the third kind dot com or Dan at theories of the third kind dot com. Make sure to put in the subject line on the scene so that we can organize it and add it to the list to be played the following week. Yep. 
So for this week's On the Scene, we have Scott H. And apparently he went out in public and uh, asked people, hey, who are you going to vote for in 2024? Are you going to vote for Trump, Biden, Romney? Or are you going to vote for Bigfoot? Bigfoot all the way, man. Yeah, baby. And these are the responses that he got. So we're going to play that on the scene right now. Probably going to be Biden and Trump. If Bigfoot runs as an independent, is it Bigfoot 2024? Yeah. In a way, yeah. yeah. Uh, if Kanye is not there, then it's Bigfoot. Oh, for sure, Bigfoot. <laughs> so Bigfoot 2024? Yeah, Bigfoot 2024, okay. for sure. Biden. As long as Bigfoot promises to uh, cut some taxes off, I'll vote for him. <laughs> Bigfoot. Definitely Bigfoot, yeah. Might be a great alternative, Bigfoot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd probably vote for Donald Trump, yeah. Uh, probably not voting. Well, actually, we just saw the documentary about Mitt Romney the other day on Netflix. If he would run again, I would have voted for him. All right, well, seems like everybody's loving Bigfoot. I mean, Bigfoot 2024, man. Chupacabra as the VP? Uh, I don't think he did a good job last time, so we might have to find someone else. Mothman? I heard he was in the running for VP. That could be a good combo right there. Yeah. Fly around, dropping little pamphlets. Here, vote Bigfoot 2024. Yeah, easy transportation. Hey, he could ride the back of Mothman. But also you got Loch Ness. Ooh, Nessie. Yeah. Mm. Bigfoot Nessie 24. Bigfoot Mothman 24. Nessie's not a U.S. citizen. Ooh, that's right. Okay, never mind. I guess it's going to have to be Mothman pulling up West Virginia. Yep. Bigfoot Mothman 2024. Is that it, I guess? I guess so, yeah. All right, well, thank you, Scott, for your On the Scene this week. I always love those where people go and interview other individuals in public. And I love certain questions that catch people off guard because they're just like, Bigfoot? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, sure. He runs, I'll vote. Which uh, we're going to be releasing our Bigfoot 2024 shirts here pretty soon, so be on the lookout for those. Oh, yeah. All right, well, do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we roll this out, Dan? I do not. Okay, well. I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.